Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I've got a fun guest on. I've got someone who I've known for years. We uh, worked together for a short period of time, and he is a legend in our industry. Nick Bailey is the Chief Customer Officer at Remax, the former president and CEO at Century 21. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks. You call me a legend. You're you are a legend, that, bro. No, Come on. That makes that puts me in the old category. No, it doesn't. It makes you in like the special category. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Jury's I'm out. Going with, I'm going with special because that's how it was intended. I'll take special, but maybe not legend. <laughs> no, legend is good. Come on, I'll take listen. If somebody calls me a legend, I'll take it. Trust me. No one's called well, me a legend though. I appreciate it. Glad to be with you. <laughs> but you have had an extraordinary career, Nick. I want to jump right into it. But listen, I heard that you started this crazy thing when you were 17. You had flipped a few houses by the time you were 23. This is something I really want to get into. But I want to, for the sake of the listeners, if you can just give us a brief background. I know that it's a, it's, it's a strong career, but give us a brief background as to your history, and then we'll jump into some really big parts of this. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You say like extraordinary career. I've never thought of it that way. It's just always kind of uh, been a passion. Um, and I think part of it stemmed from, I came from a family. My parents were entrepreneurs. And, and so we had a number of family run businesses. So I actually had my own business when I was 15, non-real estate related. And so, uh, you know, got my drivers, bought my first car when I was 13. I, I just, was, yeah, I was just kind of like, I guess an old soul. I think, I think I'm more of a child now than I was then, but um, yeah, I, I had an opportunity based on um, where I was and what I was doing to invest in two commercial retail buildings, um, leased one uh, to a cool pizza place in town. So I got popular in high school by default because that's where all the high school kids went for lunch. Um, and I was the landlord when I was a junior in high school. But yeah, that transitioned um, into residential. I went to college uh, and I decided that the expense of what you pay to live in the dorms, I could put a FHA down payment on a house, four bedroom house, two blocks from the college, rent out the basement. And I was hooked. Um, and from there, I just continued to move through um, college and selling real estate. And of course, the first broker I interviewed with said a part-time kid will never be successful in this. And so, ha, 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 it uh, worked out okay. And um, yeah, I got licensed at 21, agent, broker, Went to Remax, spent some time, almost 12 years at Remax headquarters. Uh, jumped out in the tech space with Market Leader and Trulia and Zillow Group. I was there for five years, which is obviously a hot topic in our industry and continues yes. to be. Um, and then, as you mentioned, had a chance to, um, to lead the C21 brand for a period of time. And then, ironically, got a call to come back to Remax uh, as the chief customer officer. So if you handed me a map 25 years ago and said, this is how it was going to go, I would have said you're nuts, but uh, it's been cool. It came full circle. So little did I know that you were like the Doogie Howser of real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, guess, I guess a comparison. I, I, I wish I had the salary at that age of a doctor, but uh, no, it's okay. So I want to talk to you about that. So you had leadership roles or have led brands like C21 and Zillow and Remax. How important do you think a global brand is for an agent? Yeah, well, let me start by saying this. It's 
I believe that the barriers of entry are obviously very low in our industry. Right. To get a real estate license doesn't take much. Barriers of entry are low. The barriers to success though are high. 87% of agents don't make it within their first five years of getting a license. Like seriously, what other business that only 13% of people that get started in it actually survive five years later? And I became, there are lots of different ways uh, to be successful in real estate, right? It's not all things, all the same cookie cutter thing to every single agent. But I will just say from my vantage point, I became a brand fan early on because I started when I was 21, got licensed with a brand. And I saw the value. I was new. I was young. I was not trusted. Um, I, I looked like these people's kids that I was you know, going to school with. They weren't going to trust me to sell their house. And uh, I, I realized that how much credibility at the time the brand gave me um, and helped me process through learning the industry and the environment, access to people, being around other top producers, um, having uh, not to have to design marketing materials, all the stuff that comes with the business. And in a short period of time after getting licensed, I started an office with another broker in the area and we were unaffiliated. So we had to create everything from scratch. And we ended up a year later affiliating uh, with a brand again uh, because we wanted to get out of doing the headache part and we wanted to do what we wanted to do, which was sell a lot of houses and help a lot of people. And so when I was young, 21, 22 years old, that's when I didn't realize the seeds were planted that made me a brand fan. And uh, who knew I was going to end up in leadership roles within Remax? I'm so proud of the fact that part of the reason I came back was the professionalism that the Remax agent is known for. Um, I'm not here to be a pitch on Remax, but you know, no, on average, they sell two brand. to one of the industry. Um, there's just a lot of full-time professionals in the brand, and I think that that benefits consumers. And you know, and it's the idea of also knowing how to leverage the brand, isn't it? Because there's a lot of agents out there that are with many brands. So it's really understanding, as you did early on, the value of that global brand and knowing how to actually leverage that for success. To your point, you know, the, 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 the barriers to success are high. So why not stack the deck in your favor, right? Well, and there's so much that comes with the brand. It's culture. Where do you feel yes. you're fit? How's the leadership look? What's the ownership of the local office look like and their community involvement? There are so many factors that go into how people are attracted. And, and that's what I think um, helps create success is finding where you fit best and aligning with people that have similar interests in success like you do. It's so true. It's so true. And, it's, and it gets repeated over and over again. It gets shown to us, doesn't it? That that's really how you start building that success. But, you know, you, you started mentioning these amazing brands that you have worked with and, uh, and things like Zillow and C21 and Remax. And so tell me about how you see technology right now in our industry and the role that it continues to have in our industry. You know, our industry has changed during this pandemic. People have had to adapt, readapt, figure out how to do their business. And technology has become a strong deliverable for many people to continue to um, conduct business in our industry. How do you see technology playing a role? Yeah, and I'll take that in two parts. Yeah, um, we got to face it. Number one, the reality and people don't like to hear it. We are slow to adopt technology in our business. 
Um, because as much has changed, I believe there's still as much that hasn't. And what, what you mentioned this last year has proven to us is how important and critical the agent is to the buyer and seller. There are more buyers and sellers using agents today than ever before on a percentage basis. The number one demographic using agents is millennials. And think of the chatter that you and I heard four or five years ago. Millennials will never buy houses. They're going to rent, ride in Uber, and uh, we're going to put houses in a shopping cart online. And so what this year proved is that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, the biggest investment wants, uh, people want a trusted advisor. Um, the transaction continues to get more complicated. However, answering your question directly, where technology, I believe, will play a role moving forward is two parts. One is it's about efficiency. The mm-hmm. difference in a mediocre producer and a top producer are efficiency. You and I both have the same number of hours a week, the same amount of time to dedicate to the business. So why is it one of us can outproduce the other three or four to one? And I believe it comes down to efficiency. And people can get enamored. Like I remember when the first iPad came out, I don't think there was a bit of efficiency for anyone in it. It was a grown-up toy under the Christmas tree. I mean, let's be real here. Um, And people played with them, but it didn't improve efficiency. I remember I got one. I took it out of my briefcase and I stopped traveling with it because it was heavy. And I realized it was a toy. Right. Um, now they've gotten a lot better, but I think that's where technology, you have to recognize what are the pieces of tech that are going to interface and create a better consumer experience for your buyer and seller and make you more experienced. It's twofold, consumer experience and agent efficiency. No, th- by the way, then I started off with, here's the other part in the future. It's AI and machine learning. And those are scary terms for people, especially in our industry. But here's the deal. Here's a great stat for my data friends. Rewind the clocks just seven years ago. There were about four and a half million transactions, about four and a half million online leads generated in our business. Seven short years later, five million transactions, not much different, and over a hundred million online leads generated in our business. So just like life, everything is busy, everything is clouded. There's a whole bunch of, of chaotic um, um, activity. And so where AM AI and machine learning comes in is instead of you sifting through 20,000 leads to find a client, allow the tech to do that on your behalf. Um, And we saw that with a tool. We have a a listing app tool that's based on AI and machine learning, and it predicts who in your phone or in your database is going to list their home in the next six to 12 months. And it's based on 750 data points on every homeowner in the United States. And so- if you have to go search for listings and I can open my app and see here are the five people that are likely to list in the next six to 12 months and all I need to do is call them or text them, I'm going to be more efficient than you are in this business. And that I think is a big driver of the future of success for an agent. That is brilliant. And that is so true. It is the idea that these are really big ideas that people get uncomfortable with, but it's really where the future is and how you actually start creating those efficiencies that translates into that great success. So aside, go ahead, please. Yeah, here's the one thing that we have to remember too. This last year, consumers as a whole, people in general, everybody has gotten a one-year technology lesson. I saw people that said, I would never FaceTime. I would never record a video. I would never do Zoom. And all of a sudden, they were forced to do it. That's right. And the forcing function means... Your buyers and sellers may continue to get better at 
tech than you. And if you don't meet them where they want to be, you're going to miss out. You'll lose them. Absolutely. Because somebody else will do it, which is always the thing, isn't it? So aside from the technology, right? Because you're right. In the last year, everybody became a technology expert. Tell me where else you think that the market has changed. Obviously, when you start thinking about the commercial side of this, no one's going to the mall, right? Everyone is doing, you know, the, 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 the big run on Overstock, on Amazon stock, on all of these other uh, technology companies that were deliverables that replaced what was basically our shopping malls. How do you think retail, for example, restaurants, I live in New York City, and indoor dining is still closed, right? And I don't think there's many people eating outside in 30 degree weather or 20 degree weather for that matter, uh, because it's not that comfortable. No, I ate outside three weeks ago and my feet were so frozen, but I wanted to go so bad. I went and sat in a tent and ate outside. It was great. Yeah. Uh, but if you asked me to sit in an igloo in 12 degrees and eat a year ago, I would have said you were nuts. But um, you know what, in New York City now, they have these igloo bars that are literally all heated and they give you like this, uh, this, this, this uh, TV with a crackling fireplace. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And Create the ambiance. Exactly. Uh, you bring up two things like commercial and, um, and retail. Yeah. Uh, by no means did the, the revolution, if you will, towards some of the things we experienced this year start at zero a year ago. I mean, think about it. Malls have been transforming for over a decade. True. Retail has been transforming well over a decade. And so I, I think what I saw, let's talk commercial, work from home. The workforce, by the way, was prepared to work from home. Do you know who wasn't? The leaders of the company. That's because right. Based on the average tenure and age of most leaders in big companies, they didn't grow up with this virtual setup they actually had the biggest adjustment to make versus right. the average person in the workforce. And once they figure out, I can run my company from home, um, it's great. But I think anything is cyclical. There are components of the wave of the future, which is convenience. We all do it. I love having certain things delivered. I needed new workout gear the other day. I wanted to try it on. I even attempted to stop by the mall. Useless. Yeah. Um, there's a point at which I think there will be some level of foreverness in certain things that has been trending and it accelerated. But then I think there's also going to be some level of pendulum swings back to center with some things that we want to experience. You just talked about the crackling fire. Um, we still like experiences. It's human nature. And I don't believe we're all going to lock ourselves in our houses for the rest of our lives, only have things delivered. It's just not there. We're going to find some level of center. So, you know, the, the other big dynamic is where all of this relief for renters and relief on forbearances of mortgages will be coming to an end once, you know, the vaccines are starting to get rolled out. That will be a huge amount of inventory in the marketplace that unfortunately some people may not be able to continue with their homes. What do you predict? is going to be happening with that phenomenon when that comes to play. Yeah. I think one lesson we have is the Great Recession on what we learned from commercial. There were a lot of landlords in commercial that had to take a slight haircut to keep their tenants. I think when some of these renters um, come out of forbearance, you're going to see landlords possibly slightly adjust rents to keep tenants. But here's the reality of where inventory levels look. If you go back to 1982, the two lowest levels in the mid-90s and 2000 on inventory 
as compared to household formation were during that time. And today we are 50% of both of those periods of time. The inventory is not just a raw number. It's not just X number of houses are for sale. In fact, we have more realtors now in the US than we do houses for sale. Um, NAR hit an all-time high in the US of over 1.5 just a few months ago. But in the last 40 years, the two lowest points of inventory compared to household formation, we are 50% of that. There's two other things that go into this. Um, 34% of mortgages or households in the US do not have a mortgage. 63% of households in the US have positive equity. That only leaves between, uh, around 2% with the margin of error that have negative equity because they may have gone in with a low or no down payment, have owned it a short period of time. And so some of those folks coming out of forbearance because of interest rates driving buyers to the market faster, inventory being so incredibly low, household formation driven by millennials and wise coming up next is greater than any generation that we've seen. You've put all of those factors together, plus the positive equity, um, 97% of houses in the US either don't have a mortgage or have positive equity, that means for those, um, unfortunately, that may get caught up in an un unemployment situation and forbearance running out, they're going to likely be able to move. And what, what the data is showing us is there are a lot of people out there that are um, equity rich and cash poor. Right. And the cash out refinance has not been as popular because I think we learned some lessons to not use our house as an ATM machine. Sure. And so the combination of all of that is still going to put most people in a favorable position overall. That's a really brilliant insight and that I love your insight into that. And it's a very bullish part on the market. I love this. This is, this is great. Um, so with all of your experience, I won't use the legendary word again. But <laughs> my, legendary, my old experience. <laughs> my old things. You know, I'm not going to let you forget. That. I know. No, it's it, obviously. <laughs> so tell me three pieces of advice you would give an agent coming into the marketplace today. Uh, three pieces of advice. One, get educated. I love that. And that's training. And that includes um, not only just knowledge and training of the business, but on the job training as well. Here's the deal. We had a loss of 34% of all agents 10 years ago during the Great Recession. We've now added like 60% more. That means that we've got between estimated 50 to 60% of all agents uh, in the US have been licensed less than 10 years and they've only been part of a run-up of a seller's market. They haven't seen a change in market. They haven't seen the buyer's market side. Now, are we going to flip there um, quickly? No, I don't think so overall. Uh, we all know real estate's still local, but when markets do shift, agents or companies that haven't seen the other side tend to shift slower and struggle more. Um, and so you got to be aware. Get as much education as you can. That'd be number one. Number two, this one hasn't changed. Spend time on money-making activities, which means be in front of someone that needs to sell or wants to buy. Because you can get so busy in this industry. Um, trust me, I love tech. I'm a tech guy. But you can play with your CRM all day long. You can uh, play on social media all day long. You can get the dry cleaning done. You can wash the car. You can go tour houses. But if you haven't been in front of someone that needs to sell or wants to buy that day, you don't have a prospect. That's right. And so um, that's hard for people to keep in mind. But I see agents all the time. They say, oh, I'm exhausted. I worked 10 hours today. And I ask the question, how many buyers or sellers did you talk to? Whether it be virtual or in person. Sure. Oh, well, none. I had to catch up on all this other administrative stuff. 
Well, great. You didn't work today. That's right. I mean, that's the reality of our business. So two is spend time on money-making activities. And I would say the third thing that is speaking from experience just in business life, but especially real estate, um, surround yourself by the very best. I love that one. Um, my 16-year-old son, I can't believe it. He just turned 16. He's driving. Um, he had his first job interview yesterday and he got the job. And wow. when he came home, I said, I said, son, here's what I want you to do because there are going to be other people doing the same job as you. When you go in, I want you to have eyes wide open on everybody you're working with. And I want you to do two things. Figure out who the best person is that's doing the same job you are and emulate them. And second, know that that's the bar and you have to go above it. Oh, I love that. And, and, and that's the formula for success in that environment. And that's really what this business is about. Look around in your market and figure out who is doing the best business, the most business, the best business, maybe the price range you want to be in, whatever you, you call the best part of the business um, and surround yourself by them because you will learn an incredible amount. So he's lacking a little bit. He should have had his first building by now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man, he always tells me, Dad, I'm not you. Stop it. Stop putting pressure on me. <laughs> so, Nick, what's the greatest lesson you've learned in your career? Oh, gosh. Uh, we might need episode 1B <laughs> for this, Michael D. <laughs> I mean, I've learned, I've learned so many lessons. I've made... I've screwed up so many times in little ways, big ways you learn yeah. from them. But if you, ah, let's see, number one lesson. I think I'll take it from the leadership side um, because this one's kind of fresh in my mind. I had something happen actually last week. Wow. Um, which is when you, especially when you go into leadership, I didn't know I was going into leadership. It just happened. Um, you can't forget who's watching you or who you might influence along the way. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that the first half of my career. I mean, I just, I just thought, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm the slow kid, the dumb kid sitting in the room. All these people are smarter than me. They all have more experience than me. And you, I, you, know, you can sometimes say, gosh, I feel less than. Um, and at the same time, you find out maybe days, weeks, years later uh, that some of those people were actually watching you. Um, and wanting to follow you. So that's probably the biggest lesson. Um, and I got a random call last week, and it was incredible. I had a gentleman reach out via LinkedIn I've never met, and uh, I responded within about an hour, never met the individual, and he wanted some advice on possibly um, opening a real estate brokerage. And it was, believe it or not, a friend of a friend um, that she knew this person somehow uh, brought my name up and he said, oh my gosh, I've been following this guy for over five years and I, I, I owe, he doesn't realize how much I owe him because I've been following. He was my inspiration on opening an office. Oh I had no idea. I sat here with my jaw open and I was speechless because I didn't know. Um, but isn't that a beautiful thing? It's neat. When you're actually just doing what you're doing and you're right, you just don't know who you're influencing. And at times when you have a great gift of finding out what you actually were able to influence with somebody, that's a beautiful gift. 
Yeah, it was it was neat. And trust me, I'm sure I've had others uh, that say, "I'm out of here. Forget this business." So let's let's not make this story one sided here. But uh, it, that that is um, that has become my biggest lesson. Um, and I have a number of examples that I can point to, positive and negative, that um, people are watching you as a leader and they have expectations, and you either step up to them or you don't, and you have a choice. That's true. And I know that, you know, you and your family are also beautifully philanthropic. And I know that you work with a lot of different charities. But tell me a little bit about those efforts that you're working on now. Yeah, our number one is anything around kiddos. Um, Everyone has a passion. uh, And a lot of it is generally personal. I wish I could contribute more to more people. But sometimes you kind of just have to pick the ones. And um, you know, I've been married for over 20 years. Hannah and I met in eighth grade, been dating wow. ever since, and I have two boys. And Is it back to uh, the pizza parlor story? Did you meet at the pizza parlor that you often? <laughs> no, and I'm embarrassed to say we were band geeks together. We met oh, in a jazz God. band. I mean, come on. Oh. Um, no, it's, it's, no, it's a pretty cool story, and it's unique to us. But, you know, along the way, um, she was a music teacher, and I, I had taught kids at a certain point. Um, and so we just had kind of a little passion for kids. And so we have um, spent a considerable amount of time with Children's Miracle Network hospitals and personally volunteering. And, you know, you get the, the older you get, the busier you get, the more responsibility you end up giving more financially. But um, just I, I, I think that kids don't deserve some of the things that happen at the ages that they do. And um, so anything we can do to help is, is what we try to do. But there are a number of other organizations we've supported over the years. Um, one of our most recent ones was Freedom Service Dogs. What a great organization that they provide service dogs to um, wounded veterans and children, uh, for example, children with autism and just those in need of, of service pets. And so uh, what an incredible um, organization. So uh, we did an adopt a dog and, and uh, named her and uh, she went and got trained this year. And we should get an update here in a month or two that she'll be, hopefully she passed the test and sort of <laughs> placed with someone incredible. But you know what? This business has been good to us. And I think it's our responsibility to be great back to the community. I love that. And, you know, and, and that, that brings back to your whole leadership, you know, and, and what you do. And, and you do have a beautiful family. And it's, you know, it's the idea of how, how do you balance that? Because you're also incredibly successful. And you just told a story of, really affecting people at, at work. And, and yeah, people, people do watch what you're doing because you do it well. And it's the idea that, you know, how do you balance this? Because you've got the wonderful family, you have the career, you have the leadership, you have the people that you mentor. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. Well, you don't do it on your own. That's number one. Um, the, the people around you, uh, support you. And, uh, I have, you know, a wonderful wife and supportive kids and they're great. But I, I I think for me, it's learning to say no. I say no a lot. Things can wait. Um, I look at my mobile device, for example, uh, we'll go out to dinner and I'll see someone get up from the table 18 times. Um, and I look at my device and I say, it's for my convenience, not other people's. Right. And so you have to say, no, there are so many things that can just wait another hour or wait till tomorrow. Um, There are not that many, excuse me, quote, emergencies. If you're a physician with a beeper, might be different. Um, But uh, you really have to say no. And I guess it's just kind of uh, keeping priorities. This is a story I tell 
that um, before I came back to Remax, you know, I was living in Colorado and, uh, you know, when you and I were working together, I was, I commuting, I was commuting to New Jersey um, and traveling all around the country and the world for the organization and traveled 218 days the, the last year I was there. And, you know, when you say people are listening or watching, guess who's watching the most? Your kids. And I tell the story that I came home after 45 days of travel and I had been home four days in that 45. And uh, it was a week before Thanksgiving, so I was going to be home for a couple of weeks. And I took my nine-year-old to lunch and just randomly. We were chatting and uh, on the way back, he said, Dad, I liked when you worked for the company that you worked at before this one a lot better. And he's nine. And, yeah. you know, the company I worked for was a tech company. So he had chargers, cases, um, blankets. I mean, he had all kinds of swag. So that's immediately where my head goes is, oh, I haven't brought him enough logoed gifts. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, well, why is that, buddy? And he said, because I used to get to see you. Oh. <sighs> now, I'll try to hold it together, but you should see when I tell that story on stage. I walked in the house and I looked at Hannah and I said, I quit. I'm oh. done. Yeah. And uh, true story. I get choked up talking about it. Wow. Um, but I said to people, I said, uh, I only have one chance to screw these kids up. And I'm going to make sure I do it right. Um, so I booked a ticket and I flew out a week later and I resigned. And people said, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, 43 years old, you had a president and CEO job of a global company and you just up and quit over a lunch. <laughs> and I said, here's the deal. Um, it was, I had to put priorities where I wanted them to be. And I wasn't going to make excuses for doing something different. But what a powerful, powerful decision that was. You know, that's, that's amazingly commendable. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have my plan B. Yeah. I love that. So amazing how it all came together, but it's a cool yeah. story. So learn that's to say no, keep your priorities straight. That's it. And don't have a plan B? <laughs> <laughs> that I wouldn't recommend because it gets a little freaky for a few minutes. <laughs> So I have one final question for you. In your book of life, what's this chapter called? Uh, the boring answer would be probably chapter eight. But um, <laughs> uh, if I had to put a word on it, I'd say um, surprise. I like that one. Surprise would be my chapter. Again, I never had any idea that this was going to be the path, full circle, um, you know, the opportunity to come back uh, uh, to Remax. Living in you know city that and state that I love and get to ski and be outdoors yeah. and um, be with my kids and my wife and so I would say surprise an awesome surprise I love that oh Nick this has been so wonderful to catch up with you again and I am so glad as to how everything has reached full circle for you you're a great man you're a great leader and uh, you deserve every bit of your success. Thank you for taking the time and sharing with us today. Yeah, thank you. Well, always great to reconnect with a legend like yourself. <laughs> well, thank you so very much, Nick Bailey. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Michael Valdez.